We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. What's going on, folks? Uh, last show of the year right here, right? Yes. But um, kind of like a prelude to what you're going to get in 2022, because we got some amazing things that are going to happen in 2022. So get ready for the hands. But before we go uh, any further, let's do a check in. So, fellas, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, what's keeping you up late at night, fellas? Uh, in in the in the realm of life, it could be education, it could be whatever you want. But what's keeping you up late at night, Chris? We'll start with you. Um, the uncertainty. I just can't. I can't handle the uncertainty of knowing what's. Uh, nothing feels stable right now. We concentrate on education on this podcast. So what's keeping me up right now is that there just feels like a lot of lost children, lost academically. Uh, a lot of ground being lost, uh, a lot of mental health situations where we can't comfort them as parents and tell them everything's about to be all right. Because, I mean, every third day the news is producing a new villain, a new, you know, uh, uh, like bio villain. Uh, <laughs> and, and they're stacking up. There aren't, any, there aren't as many vaccine superheroes that are promising us a, a better day. So, I mean, um uh, the last thing I'll just say is like, as a parent, we're trying to like shelter our kids so that they have some normalcy that they can laugh during the day and, you know, just be normal kids and everything. But the truth is we're not okay. We're walking around with an uncertain world. So that's keeping me up, not knowing what tomorrow looks like. That's what's up, bro. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Charles, we'll start with you. I mean, we'll, we'll come to you. Yeah, no worries, man. Yeah, even everybody. Um, I, I would say there's some stuff I'm trying to do on my crib and like, uh, I got a young, uh, Latino brother that's like, you know, it's young entrepreneur, young, younger than all of us, man, got his got his own thing going and we was running a little bit behind. He got he has a young family. He had to rush out yesterday and I was, you know, stressing about getting stuff done, man. And he finally let me know why he had to run out. And uh, his wife is that they're in late stage pregnancy and, and, and there might be a complication that's kind of serious. Mm -hmm. And it just put a lot of things in perspective. So y'all don't have to know him. You ain't got to know his name or whatever. You know what I'm saying? He's handling like a trooper, but say a prayer for him. Like I said, I was telling the fellas before, I couldn't imagine like, you know, he was still being professional and handling stuff that he need to handle, man. But, you know, you, you tell me something wrong with my baby and this, it, that, that could be rough. So uh, just praying for him and his wife. That's what's up, bro. That's uh, Reefus, Reefus, what's happening? Not much, uh, Ray. Leicester um, to see y'all brothers um, you know what what keeps I, I, th I think just it's so many folks you know um, who are suffering who are struggling you know um, you know from just all different angles man it's a lot of pressure just to you know just to live in a lot of different spaces you know um, so you can't take anything for granted and you can't you know you can't forget those who you know are 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 really like need all the courage that they can muster just to, you know, face life, just to, you know, stand up, walk out the door or do whatever it is that they have to do just to live. And so, um, you know, they, they, I don't think they should ever be far from our minds. Um, and I think I'm, I'm grateful to be able to, you know, serve, you know, um, God's creation and in, in different forms. And I know it's not enough because um, there's, there's so much, um, so much happening uh, in the world. So, um, yeah, that's yeah, 
That's what's up, bro. Those whisper prayers in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Like the, you know, like that's that has to happen. You know. Yeah. Um, what's keeping me up late at night is this show. <laughs> that's not even late at night. Uh, you know, it, it, it's been a, it's been a pretty interesting week. Uh, in, in, anyways, folks, folks, uh, we got a guest tonight. We got a actually a very prolific guest. Uh, we got Doctor Julian Vasquez Helix. Um, a bachelor's degree from University of uh, of, of Michigan, um, PhD from uh, Stanford University, over fifty peer reviewed articles. Yo, the dude is the dude, right? And uh, and and I have a, a great deal of respect for him. Currently, the uh, dean of the University of Kentucky's uh, College of Education. Let's bring the brother up. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Doing well. Welcome. Uh, welcome. Joining. Welcome. It's good to see you all. Um, you know, I, I I love being at UK. Go Big Blue. But I'm going to tell you, yesterday, Michigan, my alma mater was the Big Ten champion. So I hope UK will let me fly my amazing blue for a day. <laughs> it shouldn't. Better than that. It's one blue that you have, brother. I'm sorry. I'm more passionate about this than I am the school stuff, brother. I'm <laughs> Oh, good. good to see you. You know who Travis that's, a, that's a better shade of blue, uh, Doc. So enjoy, enjoy, <laughs> you know <what> I mean? enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey man, it's BBN Nation that. all day. It's Big Blue Nation all day. He ain't even do that, y'all. Are y'all listening? I'm gonna leave you alone. <laughs> Go ahead, so, 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 Doc, man, you you've been you've been to some places, man. So you've been in the Big Ten, you've been in the Pac-12, you've been in yeah. the Big Twelve, you've been in the mm-hmm. SEC. Yeah, which one has the most energy for you in terms of in terms of uh, in terms of like games and sports yeah. or whatever? Like who has? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I've been at at Texas Austin. That was my first job after I got my my doctorate, and I remember watching Vince Young walk around on campus. I saw Kevin Durant, you know, in the cafeteria. Um, you know, UT has has that sort of rich, rich history. Now, of course, in recent years, they haven't done so well. Um, you know, at Kentucky, you know, this state is all about Kentucky. Uh, Louisville likes to think they're a part of the conversation, but not really. Uh, you know, Stanford, they've um, they've won every uh, I don't know if they still call it the Sears Cup, but, you know, the, the athletics award for, for all sports. And then, of course, Big Blue, 11 national championships. And I think they just won their 34th Big Ten championship. So I, I really can't compare them. But let me just say this. I was born in the University of Michigan Hospital. So I think my blood might be that color blue. But I'm, I'm, but I'll tell you right now, it, it's a different shade of blue because, you know, UK, it's UK blue right now, I guess. Yeah. yeah. There it is. There it is. <laughs> so, all right. So, 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 Charles, man, coming to you first, bro, just kind of set the stage. You grew up in Kentucky. Um, what were your educational experiences like in Paducah? And what advice do you have for higher ed in terms of improving teacher candidates that have the ability to teach all kids? Well, um, for folks that know me, I was born in Chicago, and but my grandmother lived in Kentucky in Paducah, a nice little small town, but just like four hours outside of Lexington or whatever. But um, I did get a pretty good education there. I'm not going to front. It, it, it prepared. They, they really just focused a lot on reading. And I remember it now. We had to do a lot of reading out loud. And one of the coolest things as a kid, what we would do history lessons, but we would go to like these actual 
civil, like we will go to these actual civil war, like battlegrounds because Kentucky was one of the deciding factors in like the civil war. They would want the last ones to make a decision if they were going to go south or north. And at the last minute they went north. But, um, but I will say I had a lot, I had, I had, I remember I had black teachers when I was there and they were kind of in those teachers was ingrained uh, in my community. Like I saw that teacher at church. I remember I got in trouble about something and I was trying to tell on Miss Hawkins and my mom and granny was like, Miss Hawkins ain't going to lie on you. Like, so, and then I saw Miss Hawkins and like the grocery <laughs> store. So, uh, <laughs> but Miss Hawkins was really dope. And, and, and I can I could feel the drop off. I've told the story about when I went to, to when I went to Oakland finally. And, and just to make a longer a long story shorter, I had an accent. I had a really thick Chicago and then Kentucky like poverty Kentucky accent, and they couldn't understand what I was saying. They was gonna put me in special education. And then Thursday read aloud day came on, and I read better than everybody in the class. And then they put me in the gate program. Like so, that is uh, that should be a that's a horror story. That is just. What you know, program is that? Uh, the Gate program, the Gifted yeah, Education. Oh, okay. Program. You could tell where I was placed. <laughs> <laughs> so the, point, the, the point, though, it was just so one. They over-indexed on on literacy and reading and being able to read out loud. And two, uh, I don't know if this is by by hook or by crook or intentional, but my teacher was a part of my community and knew my family. Um, and three, when I got to Huey Newton's same elementary school in Lafayette where he warns people not to send his kids. It's the first line in one of the most famous books of all time. Um, they were so flipping with me, and I was mostly Black people at that school too, um, that I could have, a, a stroke of luck had me go from being in special ed to the gate program and being mm-hmm. trapped, right? So that's a that could be a whole analysis in and of itself. So I don't know what advice I got, uh, uh, Ray, except for the story and the co- and, and I think people can glean what they want from that story. Bro, storytelling, man. That's, that's, that's part of, that's part of what we're talking about here, man. So thanks for that story. I appreciate it. So doc bringing you on, sir. Um, yeah. the right has all but massacred critical race theory and its meaning. Yeah. Um, what, what do you want the audience to know about critical race theory? Yeah, you know, I think that's a. I think the big challenge right now is that critical race theory is being used as a foil for a whole bunch of other concerns. Um, you know, let's just go back. You know, late 1960s, early 1970s. Um, Derek Bell and others thought that there was a a gap in in legal theory to understand how racism occupied public policy and other structures in our country. They were looking for a theory to help understand why we saw what we saw in the law, sort of disparate impact of the law, why we saw differences in school funding, et cetera. So with the theory that we use in higher education, I myself have used critical race theory uh, to study social studies standards, uh, specifically uh, in Texas, trying to understand the representation of communities of color in those standards. Um, and we published that work in the Harvard Ed Review. And using that theory, we, 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 we theorized that the history of communities of color would be largely absent in the required um, standards. And, uh, and, and that's what we found. That, you know, so when you have a theory, you create a hypothesis and then you conduct the research to test those hypotheses. But what's happened is, is that critical race theory has really been perverted to be a critique of conversations about equity. 
to be a critique of conversations about the Holocaust, mm-hmm. to be a critique of conversations, conversations about Muhammad Ali. And I'm in Kentucky and Muhammad Ali is a sacred brother here. I'm going to tell you. So what I what I think folks are really concerned about is sort of all these tributaries. So after George Floyd, I think the nation had this opportunity to have a watershed moment. Um, but instead, we have these critiques of an academic theory. And if you go to the average person and ask them, do you, what are the tenets of critical race theory? Or how do academics use it in research? Or bottom line, is it even taught in K-12? Which the answer to that is no. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't do they're not do, conducting dissertations and research studies in kindergarten using critical race theory. So if we know that it's not being used as a research theory, then we understand that the whole conversation is actually about equity and criticizing themes of equity in schools. Yeah. Thanks for that, bro. Um, so, Chris, bringing you in, man, a former elected school board member. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see all of this crap that's happening at these school board meetings in terms of what Doc just said, parents not knowing what they're talking about with regards to what critical race theory is. Are you surprised that this is happening in, uh, in America? <laughs> Raymond, you know, the, you know, the answer, to, you know, the answer to that question. No, I'm not surprised by it, but I do want to kick it back to the doc on this one and just say as a, As a former school board member, I look at this and I think that there's material consequences to these things. So it's like it's a phony campaign from on high meant to distract people locally and to generate suburban votes for a very specific political party. That's the way I look at it. But I hear so many people kind of brushing it off. Like, you know, I don't really, you know, I don't care about that stuff anyways. I don't care about CRT or everybody knows that it's not a real thing. It's a made up issue. But you just mentioned Texas. Uh, um, Julian, so you had a view on what the battle was like before with social studies and with yeah. ethnic studies and whatnot. What are yeah. the material consequences today yeah. now with yeah. the laws passing? Yeah, so you know you have these laws passing in Idaho, North Carolina, a variety of other states, um, and you have these commissions um, that have been formed in these states where they're filing complaints against educators. Um, almost harkens back to the 1950s and McCarthyism. Mm -hmm. Um, So some very specific examples in Texas, you have a principal who wrote a solidarity statement with equity themes, has nothing to do with critical race theory, but he was criticized and ended up being fired from his job under this premise of critical race theory, even though his, his conversations in, um, you know, over email and on, Facebook had nothing to do with critical race theory. Uh, You have a district outside of Atlanta that has banned access um, to online modules about Muhammad Ali, about the Holocaust, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Literally closed. Mm -hmm. You know how you can ban pornography? Well, they mm-hmm. banned these themes across the um, across the across the district. You've got 
um, laws that are coming online where they're threatening to fine teachers $5,000 for every instance of a complaint of a violation of critical race theory. And, and many of the legislation that you see nationwide doesn't actually mention critical race theory. Where most of that legislation comes from is from an executive order uh, that uh, took place under the last president and then was was um, abandoned by the current president. Almost all of these laws have almost the exact same language. For example, that you cannot teach things that are going to cause emotional harm to the students, right? And if you do, you could lose your teacher certification or you could be fined $5,000, right? So that, that's sort of like a practical consequence of if you look across the nation at some. Then you have like a teacher, uh, Amy Donaforio in Tampa, I think is where she lives. She had a Black Lives Matter um uh, uh, enter the flag in the classroom, flag, yeah, yeah, and and they fired her. So w- what you see here is um, some very sort of palpable consequences, things that really have nothing to do with critical race theory, but mm-hmm. are being used uh, under this sort of banner of the cancel culture um, mm-hmm. that you see from the CRT um, effort. Well, let me let me just push just a little bit further on this one. Uh, Ray, because I know you want to jump in there, but yeah. all right, Doc. Like, here's the thing, right? So, we are we have always agreed and disagreed on some things in education. We've uh, well, actually, we haven't really agreed on much. So, I'm going to take that one out. We have disagreed about charter schools. We've disagreed about choice. We've disagreed about school reform in different uh, areas. We haven't really disagreed about accountability because you have you have talked about bottom up accountability rather than top down accountability. And I think there's some dope ideas in that. Um, But when you think about where we are right now with this kind of full scale assault with memory laws and the strangling of what we can teach in classrooms and the firing of principals and teachers, how do you place this within your portfolio Rank it. How do you rank this within your portfolio of things that you care about uh, in your normal, traditional portfolio of of educational like agendas? Well, you know, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to tell you what I spend most of my time doing these days is. you know, uh, serving uh, the 3,000 students, faculty and staff of the College of Education. Uh, that that takes probably 90% of my time these days. Um, but what's interesting is that what folks really want to talk about right now is that piece that we wrote uh, in the Harvard interview, The Illusion of Inclusion. If you actually Google Illusion of Inclusion and look at Wikipedia, it talks about um, the illusion of inclusion of, of people of color in, in social studies. Um, I, I mentioned that article a little bit earlier. People want to talk about um, uh, our research on critical race theory. That's what folks are really want to talk about right now. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a public policy analyst. And so the thread of my work um, is social justice, equity uh, and inclusion. So I have work that we've done, you know, on, on curriculum and critical race theory. We've done work on school choice. Uh, we've done work on higher education access. We had work cited in the Fisher v. Texas case at the Supreme Court. Um, so really, uh, I'm interested um, uh, in, in any work related to 
um, social justice, equity, and inclusion. It just happens that right now, folks are really laser focused on the CRT work. I understand it's related to electioneering and you know politics and these sorts of things, but that's less of interest to me than the fact that what is going to be impact on textbooks? What is going to be the impact on educators? What is going to be the impact on, on freedom of speech? To me, those are really important questions. In higher education, um, academics have a lot of freedom of speech in the classroom. I mean, professors can use the N-word in classrooms, and that, that's the kind of freedom of speech that faculty have. Critical, this whole critical race theory debate doesn't really affect higher education. However, K-12 educators in the courts, their speech has been limited quite dramatically over the years in a set of Supreme Court cases. And so and students actually have a lot more political freedom for political speech than than educators do. So I really think that there it should be a Rosa Parks moment here, which is that I think educators should stand up. I think that they should um, teach history. They should teach about the Civil War. They should teach about the Holocaust. They should teach about Muhammad Ali. <laughs> and 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 we have that moment where, where it works its way through the courts, um, because ultimately what's what's being attempted here is the chilling of speech, the chilling of, of equity. So um, to answer your question directly, this is what folks really want to talk about right now. The other thing I think that's on the agenda, too, is um, diversity among educators. And let me just say one quick thing on that, because I, I wanted to pass over. We've been very focused on this at Kentucky. In fact, we've doubled the number of African-Americans in our teacher ed programs. Mm. Um, that's something we're really proud of. Um, we've also uh, increased the percentage of faculty of color by five to seven percent. It kind of just depends on what faculty you count, whether it's, you know, tenure track, tenured, et cetera. But but we're becoming more diverse. But here's the challenge. And it, it, it's the thread that binds that work and the critical race theory work. Mm-hmm. And it's that people of color are disrupting a traditional space. They're disrupting traditional spaces and that causes challenges. So the fact that there are now equity themes in curriculum is disrupting that sort of traditional approach to the curriculum where people of color have been sidelined, where women have been sidelined, where people with disabilities have been sidelined. Same thing with higher education. Um, You know, when you start to have faculty of color, you're disrupting a traditional space and that causes issues because people don't see, are, are not used to seeing black and brown and Asian American faces as faculty. It's disrupting that traditional space. So I think that's one of the threads that really binds all of this work is that as people of color are entering leadership positions, are taking back the teaching profession, as you know, there are many more African-American teachers in our history, but when they desegregated the schools, we know what happened. We've had this conversation together. So what we've got to think about is how we manage that disruption. Yeah, thank you for that. Hey, Chris, that was a great question. Reef, bring you in here, big dog. Um, <clears throat> what what kind of work are you guys doing at the center uh, in terms of, um, I guess, holding up teachers that are that are coming into uh, these types of situations with anti CRT? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to say, you know, um, you know, I'm really glad to hear, and I hope more 
you know, uh, teacher prep programs and just, you know, it, everywhere. Like we need more diversity of thought and cultural backgrounds and experience and expertise everywhere. Um, but I, I'm absolutely um, really glad to hear that, you know, uh, the number of, of black teacher candidates um, has doubled. Uh, you know, I, I hope that you're able to continue that because um, we also know that as progress happens, sometimes you might get backlash from different places. So, um, you know, I think things like that are, are things that we have to uplift and make sure people know, because I think sometimes we're, mm-hmm. we do so much work and we're in like our silos and we're just trying to like, just get the job done. Um, but we also need to amplify a little bit so that if we are harassed or troubled, you know, um, people know and people can come to the aid and support in whatever ways um, and from whatever angles that they're able to. So I just want to commend you on that. I hope, you know, and far more universities need to do that, you know, and we because we know like at many universities, the teacher education program is less diverse than the university overall, you know, and so but then they're going to schools that have, you know, now majority of students of color. Uh, and then when we think about how they're trained, right, like, you know, the white educational theorists, the white behavior theorists, the white child psychologists, you know, European or white American Piaget, you know, uh, Horace Mann, Dewey, folks who, who didn't even conceive of, oh, all these black people are coming to, to the school, let alone, oh, we need to build something for so that they can achieve their highest potential. Like that's not in their framework or their thinking, you know, B.F. Skinner later apologized. Like, yeah, I used to be real racist. Now I'm a little less racist. But, you know, but that's how people are still training, you know, how people are developing. So we also think about like professors and how many are like, yeah, I, I you know, so to me, it's not just who's in K-12 classrooms and leading those classrooms in schools. It's who trained and developed them. Whose mindsets and frameworks did they use and apply? And now they're writing unit maps and, and questioning, deciding what to, you know, what to teach. So all of that um, to, to me personally, professionally, as well as, you know, at the, at the center um, is, is really important. So for us, this whole, you know, uh, black pedagogical framework, a black historical lens being inserted into not only professional development, but curriculum as well. Right. And so like, as we're working with districts to start teacher academy, high school teacher academies, because several of them reached out to us like, oh, we have a high school teacher academy. We're like, okay, what does it look like? How the student body, you have a very diverse uh, student population. They're like, no, well, it's all white girls who who come to, I'm like, well, that looks like the teacher prep um, program, white women. <laughs> and the high school teacher academies are young white women. And <laughs> just like, well, le- well, you need to take a look. Well, they, they just aren't interested. I'm like, teaching is activism. They most certainly are interested. And every summer and after school program and during the Mbongis on Mondays, we see black youth who are very interested in leading and, and supporting younger folks and, and being, being a engage an active member and being disruptors. So they're very interested in teaching. You know, when Ivory Tolson, Dr. Ivory Tolson looked at what's the, the number one career choices of black men in HBCUs, it was education. Mm, one in that. 10, both elementary yeah. and high school. Like they were very interested in that. And you see, we see that over and over again. 100% of the students who come through our teacher apprenticeship program, these high school and college, black high school and college youth, that folks say they can't find for their programs or they can't find for their schools and districts, they say, yes, I am, I am interested in leading a classroom. I am interested in teaching my younger brother, my younger sister. I'm interested in being a vanguard. 
And so mm-hmm. we, we have to make sure that we are, you know, just uh, connecting and being aware and, and supporting the youth. And, and of course, they're going to do whatever it is that they want to do. Um, and we're going to support them that, on that. But if they're interested in teaching and activism and they can see the connection between educational justice and racial justice. And like uh, Dr. Ryder told me, and I tell people all the time, I wasn't interested in teaching until he pointed out that the purest form of activism was teaching black children well. That's what got me. I was like, oh, I, I am all in. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that was almost 30 years ago, bro. And it, let me, uh, just so that you don't think that I'm BSing, let me let me give you a little homework. Uh, I want you to look up Cheryl Matias at the University of Kentucky, M-A-T-I-A-S. Um, she's a Cheryl student. Cheryl with an S or C. M-A-T-I-A-S. Cheryl no, first name. Cheryl. I want you to look up Shereem Hannigan Martinez. Both of those are, are Daniel Solozano students from, from UCLA, different generations. And then Joyce King, who you probably have heard of at, at, uh, at Georgia State. Uh, we hired Tice Council, T-A-I-S Council. Um, and all three of those folks are doing outstanding things in our teacher ed program. So take a look at those folks. If you're district folks, you might want to bring them out. Um, Cheryl Matias, Shereem Hannigan Martinez, and Tice Council. Hey, can I can I hop in just real quick, uh, Ray? Just I, I'm just enjoying the conversation. I just want to like even just level setting the field for people, right? Like, like I know we're talking about like you know schools and programs and 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 what's going on in the school. And let here's the bottom line, people. This CRT thing is running such a muck. It is so wild. It is so crazy that folks like. Me and Dr. Uh, Julian, who we have shared stages and we have disagreed a lot. He has shared stages with Chris. Like we have, you know, always pretty respectful for the most part in person. And then, you know, in Twitter, it goes where it needs to go, whatever the case is. We ain't talking about none of that tonight. Right. Because the CRT thing has gotten white people so on cold and it has become a dog whistle. They know these people know that CRT ain't what they say it is. Right. But it's become the rallying horn that anytime somebody is presenting something in a K-12 school that you don't like, that exposes some type of white racism, we have this blanket term that we can just scream and say, oh, CRT, CRT. And it's gotten so bad that those there are white folks that will never talk to each other. They ain't never got along. One is Democrat, some are Republican. And you will see high profile Democrats get asked about CRT and butcher it, right? Like these people like are responding to things. So mm-hmm. as black people, as brown people, as people of color, as people that care about truth and values and the things that this country was supposed to be built on, what we're trying to even model tonight is like, look, different sides of different arguments and we all retain the, the right. We're going to argue again at some point in the future, right? We're going we gonna to have this moment and we'll, we will have those nights and be very like honest with each other around that. But as a community, and if you watch this show, we are just in a place right now that we got to figure out how to come together and have some type of collective response because they're firing our good teachers. They're firing our good superintendents. They're firing our principals under this horrible guise. And we have not had a collective response to protect those people. It should not be an act of courage to just teach the truth in 2021. So mm-hmm. uh, I just want to just level set just for a little bit because we was getting some technical stuff. But I wanted people to know what, what, what the hell we was here right on, on that piece. So I'm going to shut up. And even before the firing, we got a whole lot of teachers. Many teachers come out of of their program and say, I'm not prepared to teach. And then another group, I'm not prepared to teach students who don't look like me. But then on top of that, you got folks because of this dog whistle, because CRT is like the black hole that sucks everything that folks don't like. And they'll say, like, 
I don't know what it is, but see, I don't know what CRT is, but it is everything I don't like, right? That's what CRT is for them. <laughs> Anything they don't like, right? But what, what I'm concerned, one of the things I'm concerned about is how many teachers are who want to do the right thing or just frozen or they're stuck or they're nervous or they're like, well, can I should? What do I do if a kid asks a question and is supposed to response requires me to teach truth, teach accurate history, show point resources, have a book like all of that lesson planning, unit mapping, all that is hard enough. Yeah. Let alone to now be second guessing because they want you to assimilate into white supremacy. But this is what's important to me, and I think Julian, you should jump back in here. This is what I think is really important. <laughs> we need a resistance right now. Mm-hmm. We need we need people actively from all levels because they are very much organized on their side. Laws are being passed. Uh, campaign plans are being drawn and, and run. Uh, um, and there was an article out today just talking about very specifically this is having material consequences for black kids in black schools and black education. This isn't a joke. This isn't like so. So, Julian, you know, you and I can have some serious disagreements about a lot of things. But right now, that's not going to serve us well at all if there's a full scale assault on our very humanity. If people are passing laws to strip us of our voting rights yeah. and to take away voting poll polling places. Yeah. Right. And to erase history and pass memory laws and have our kids thinking that slaves were happy people that used to sing and dance. I think we got a whole different level problem now than yeah. than than our Twitter feuds that we have going on. Yeah. So two two things. I think first, uh, we are doing we are doing work on this. Uh, I, I serve on the executive committee and as educate co-education chair here in Kentucky for the NAACP. So we are planning a campaign that actually encompasses those exact uh, points and a few others. You know, we have no knock warrant issues here. Uh, Brianna Taylor is a prime example mm. Uh, of that. So there, there are a set of sort of anti-black measures um, across the nation. And so we, I, I think that's, we've got to think about how we frame it in that way. Because the reason why we see, I believe, these um, uh, these sort of so, uh, so, um, uh, culture wars is because there are folks that feel like there's no consequences to this. Um, but th- there are vast consequences. I think there should be consequences across uh, the spectrum. Um, I want to say one other thing. Politics matters for teacher ed. It really does. When I when I got here to Kentucky, I, I went to go buy a Jeep. And I remember my car salesman, what I did for a living, and I told him that I was the dean at the College of Ed. He said, oh, I used to be in the teacher ed program there. And I said, well, what do you mean used to be? And he said, my mother's a Kentucky teacher. And she said, because of everything that's going on with the politics uh, and conventions and everything else, it was a really bad idea. And so politics is, has been uh, affecting our enrollment in higher education. We're down about 15% over the last five years, um, mm-hmm. even before I arrived. Now, we've even down our teacher ed, but talking with other deans, this is a big problem nationwide. Uh, and while we have stopped the, the decline and we've been able to increase our diversity, this is still a big issue. And the thing is that um, uh, the CRT laws, what I'm really worried, it's too early a case, is if this is going to discourage 
teachers of color from going into the profession. HBCUs, whether research institutions like my own, we don't know the answer to that. But anecdotally, it seems like the answer to that is yes, based on talking to young people and asking them about what do you think about the politics surrounding teacher education? It's very discouraging to them. Yeah. So thank, thank, thank you for that. Um, so cleaning up a couple of things, right? So we talked earlier about um, uh, Cheryl uh, from, 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 from your, from your university of UK. That's Cheryl with a C. I got my ghostwriter is texting me things. Um, also, um, there's over 25 pending litigations uh, with regards to CRT in states. And lastly, Doc, I want you to talk about Florida, right? Because we talked about how, you know, how in higher ed, things may not be so limited, but in Florida, yeah. it's different, right? Because you got DeSantos down there doing all kind of crazy yeah. stuff. And um, and university folks can't really talk about anything, right? So right. let's talk about Florida yeah. and like yeah. what that impact could be on those on those states with the 25 pending litigation um, Look, i'm sorry legislation you know i i heard through the grapevine now i cannot confirm this story but i heard through the grapevine that a dean of a college of education called a professor into their office and told them that they were teaching too much about equity in one of their courses <laughs> too much equity and threatened their job mm-hmm that's what's going, and I, I can't confirm that story. It, it was told to me by 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 someone. Um, so, and I, I know who the dean is. I've had a conversation with that dean, and this person didn't seem like they would be willing uh, to use their academic freedom to talk about the research that's out there about equity, about critical race theory, etc., and inform. I mean, that's our role as academics. Our, our role as academics is to give policymakers the best information available when they ask, um, whether you're, uh, you know, faculty, et cetera. So, yeah, Florida is a real challenge because the University of Florida specifically, and I'm changing gears a little bit here, um, did not allow some of their faculty to testify in voting rights uh, cases. And, you know, when people started to dig into it, all the administrators started to point fingers at each other about who had made the decision to limit their academic freedom. When it finally came down to it, uh, I believe you could say they relented because they said that they could testify on their own time. Um, So I, I think that this is a real challenge because that, why is this a big issue? Because if you look at totalitarian countries, the first, one of the first parts of that playbook is to limit what happens in universities and limit the, the freedom of thought and freedom of speech. And, and that, that is really troubling that folks feel like they need to uh, oppress free speech. I think that's a real, a real challenge for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reef, bringing you back into the conversation, bro, uh, for uh, every eight black teachers, there's 92 white teachers. What, what, are, what are we gonna do, sir? 
<laughs> what are we going to do, man? This is a whole lot, and, and it didn't get there overnight. You know, um, Julian, you know, uh, mentioned this earlier with the 1954 that's often lauded for you know one aspect, but the whole picture usually isn't um, talked about. You know, and I, I would say recently it's been talked about a lot more about the impact that it had on on black educators, but it wasn't just you know just down the south or in Jim Crow um, situations. It's it's all over. You know, Pennsylvania. You know, um, people would consider it Yankee Town, really, but it ain't. You know, it's uh, it's the same thing. And I, mm-hmm. we quote Malcolm all the time. It's like, down south is everywhere south of the Canadian border. So a lot of the same uh, mindsets and philosophical ideas. But you know, one aspect of that, Ray, I think, is is having conversations with our youth. Um, because I can tell you, you know, when we started the fellowship, and the seventeen black men. Everybody with a master's degree and above, and we got to would get together, and we realized that out of seventeen of us, not a single one of us had been invited into the profession. Not a single one of us had a conversation about teaching, leading classroom, creating, starting schools, leading schools, until after we graduated college. Mm-hmm. And so the first kind of like research we did was ask our colleagues when did they remember who invited them into the profession, and. The average response, and most of them were white women, the average response was third grade. Third grade was when they recall someone engaging them like, oh, you would be a great teacher. Oh, you would be fantastic at this. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, so third grade for one group pulls back for another. And so I think, you know, part of it is engagement. Part of it is what we try to do is is paid apprenticeships. And I see more like, you know, um, universities are trying to actually engage and have conversations with uh black high school students, black college youth, and inviting them to participate um, in solving the issue. Because it ain't going to be all solved from far away, like most things are. And it's going to be done in the community. And these these uh, these folks have agency as far as seeing, like, wait a minute, like, yeah, we need to be part of the vanguards, right? Like uh, this education piece and centering that, um, you know, in the, like the Panther Party, they talked about education and political education. And, you know, people sometimes, you know, so many of them will say like, oh, I came to the headquarters and I was looking for arms they're like yeah we're gonna arm your mind with these books right it was about education um and you know whether it was their liberation schools or uh charlie cobb with the freedom schools through snick marion wright edelman reigniting that it's all these different ways to i think engage youth, give them real opportunities and experiences and i think a part of it is recognizing that teaching is leadership right and so we that's what we point out like no you're actually leading have you ever have you ever mentored a, a, a peer or a younger person yeah have you ever helped your younger brother sister or neighbor or cousin with their homework yeah have you helped your, your peer with a homework have you talked them off the ledge yeah I, well, i've done that I, that then you're teaching you're leading right and so there's some more formalized ways and practices we can provide um but right you know like helping them connect the dots between the leadership that they show every single day in their communities and help them connect the dots to like that's what it that's a glimpse of what it means to like lead a classroom go ahead i was uh yeah when i when i get a chance i got a question for y'all but do your thing actually i'm I'm throwing a question to you so you can uh you can close out with the question that you have for us um so Speaking about the youth, bro, like what what are the fellows at Energy Converters? What are, what are they saying with regards to like this whole critical race theory thing? What are your kids saying? Yeah, so we're starting a new cohort right now. And one our issue actually this year is building off our research from last year in Oakland. It's around the number of black and brown students that have been pushed out 
in Oakland in general, whatever, regardless of type of school they're in. So that's what they've been looking at. Um, critical race theory will probably make its way into some of the like the what we're doing or whatnot. But we, we have like a different focus. But I will say the larger conversation that we just been having, Oakland is a different place. Right. Like so, you know, it, it's you're going to get the most history history type lessons at this point. Right. Because. It's just kind of the place that 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 we in right now. I'm not really worried. I'm worried about Oakland for other reasons, not necessarily for the CRT thing, um, because people pride themselves being activist educators in Oakland. Right. So they're going to go a little harder on that. But I, but that's, I think that was a good question. Uh, and my question to y'all, you know, and I, each of you. So so we see Dr. Dr. Julian is doing work in college education trying to knock that out, talking to people across the country. Ray is doing work around this stuff by leading by example, like, yo, we're going to be fearless. We're going to do what we need to. I'm going to protect my staff and come at me if you need to. Sharif is trying to hire more and more black teachers, and he talks about that, and Chris is helping elevate the, the voices of our community. My question is for those folks that's listening to us that don't work in that education space, that might be parents, that might feel like they're a lay person and probably didn't get a lot of references we was even making tonight, but they worried about this issue they seeing on CNN, they seeing on MSNBC, they seeing on their local news. What advice do we have for parents and our community members right now that's feeling the same way Chris was when he started out, when you asked him what he was, was keeping him up at night? How, what advice, and let's start with you, Dr. Julian, just, I'm just curious from your perspective, what advice do you have for those common folks that are worried about their kids and worried about the uncertainty and what can they do? How can we add some power uh, to those people right in this moment? Well, uh, we need teachers of color. We need leaders of color. We need culturally relevant curriculum. Um, we need culturally relevant teaching, which is a different CRT. Some people often ask me, are those the same CRT? I mean, that's where we are today. Um, and I, I think the bottom line is that we understand, I believe, that our education system really is the compass of our democracy. And that, that's what I, uh, and if we deny students critical race fact, because the Holocaust is a fact, there's no other side to the Holocaust as was demanded by a district because of the critical race theory bill in Texas, there's no other side to that. So critical race fact is key to the critical thinking of students in our schools because the, the proper education of those students helps them discern between the fake news, the propaganda. Uh, it allows them to be critical citizens. And so we cannot allow a movement against critical race fact to infiltrate our schools, our, our textbooks, our teacher education. These are all connected. Uh, and so I think I think we need to focus. Parents need to focus on making sure that critical race fact is available to our students, that we're able to support leaders and teachers of color, because I think those are the foundational pieces. And that's not even talking about ethnic studies. We know that from the, the research, for example, out of Stanford in San Francisco, that white kids do better when they have ethnic studies. Black and brown kids are less likely to drop out, more likely to go to college. That's what the research says. And we're not even we didn't, we didn't even get into that tonight. Mm -hmm. But my point is, is that this work is key to the education of our students. Um, all right, I'll jump in. All right. So I think if I'm talking to a parent right now, uh, the advice that I'm giving them, I think 
uh, the first thing I'm going to say is find best fit schools for your kids. Um, not all schools are the right fit. So you have to know your kids in order to know where they're going to flourish. Right. And so um, look for opportunities in order for your kids to engage in the right um, in the right school setting for them. Right. The second thing is um, to find schools that are culturally affirming. Right. Um, there's work that you can do at home, but then there's also that work that can be done at school if that school is built to the needs of your child. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third thing is don't limit school choice. Right. Like uh, give parents the opportunity to select whatever schools that they want to go to, whatever schools that they want their kids to attend. The fourth thing I would say is uh, open uh, more black and brown led schools uh, that have university teaching pipelines and wraparound services that address the traumas that students have been faced with, with having to be in these white led systems that don't love them. And then the fifth thing I would say is to listen to parents. I feel like a lot of, a lot of folks punch down when they get in positions. Um, and they don't really listen to they don't really listen to parents. Right. So like one of the things that I pride myself on is like I go on listening tours like I'm out in the parking lot. I'm out um, listening to my parents uh, tell me what they need in order to make our school be the best school that it can be. And I think that based off of being an active listener uh, in terms of, of, of hearing from our parents, we're able to meet the needs of our students. Uh, Chris, I'll throw to you. Um, so listen, I got three kids in three different traditional district public schools right now. And, uh, and there are no black teachers coming anytime soon. Uh, there's, that's not gonna happen anytime. And there's no day soon where that's going to change anything in the schools that my kids go to. Um, they're the traditional things that we would normally be fighting for are all kind of long game things. And right now, uh, what I would tell parents to do, number one, is step up like you've never stepped up before, like your kid's life matters and depends on it. Because if you don't right now, there's going to be a lot of missing, lost kids. Uh, and don't let your kid be one of them. Like, like there are going to be a lot of people going to tell you what you can't do and what you're not equipped to do or whatnot. Whatever. Do everything that you can with what you got with where you're at to make sure that your child, number one, that you're paying attention to their mental health, because there's a lot of silent kind of things that kids can be suffering throughout the day and you're not paying attention to it. And it's, it's it, you won't pay attention until until it's a real problem and too late oftentimes. And I think a lot of parents have been really shocked that they got depressed kids or they got kids that are going through something and they didn't pay attention to it, living in their own house, like with them every day. And if you are not so acute and aware about that, so, so I would say that, Number two, look for every free resource you possibly can that helps you stay on top of like making sure you're filling in gaps and blanks like with your kid, uh, a Khan Academy and whatever, Google everything, ask other parents, ask people really in the know what you, what you can be at doing at home, but supplement, 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 mm-hmm. right? Because, because that's what it takes. It takes a good home partnership with schools right now. The next thing is whoever you're entrusting your kid to every day, whoever you're turning your child over to, whatever educator or whatever education situation you're turning them over to, number one, monitor that situation, but support the hell out of it. Because the people who you're entrusting your kids to every day need you to like, just show up like, like for them, like you never did before. Like support the hell out of them because they got your child every day. <laughs> they got your child all day long. And guess what? They're going through some things too. 
right? The people who are helping your kids are also going through some things. So support, support, support. The first one was around supplement. This one's about support, 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 support. Uh, the other thing that I would say that, that, that parents really have to watch out for is conventional thinking around education right now is out the window. Mm-hmm. So to, to, your child is a learning machine. Your child, their intellectual development right now is in your hands. What happens in a school isn't all of it. What happens in your home isn't all of it. Uh, what you used to think about schools yesterday, the way that you thought about your schools and your relationship with them right now is so up in the air right now. And, and and you got to like stabilize that situation, whether it's school A or school B. I just told you I have three kids in traditional district public schools. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to limit my situation to that if something else changed or whatnot. That's what we're working with right now. And it is a full time job managing that process, supporting that process, doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we're doing this as middle class people with resources. I imagine what people are doing. Uh, who who are having to like really scrap for those resources. Mm-hmm. Not. The last thing I'm going to say, and I'll pass it on is reach out, reach out. Don't try and do stuff by yourself. If you, if you don't have to find people, find us, find anybody, find Dr. Julian, find Dr. Dr. Cole, find future Dr. Ray Lister, you know, find Sharif <laughs> L. Mecky, whatever, whoever you can reach out. Cause this was my strategy years ago when I felt very ignorant about schools, but I had a child in one. I just asked people stuff. And I just reached out and 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 got very knowledgeable people to help me. But I say all that just to say I'm talking short term. I'm sure some of these other solutions are long term solutions. And I think they're fine. I think we should still focus on those. But right now, you got to like step up and do what you got to do. That's what's up. Big Reef. Yeah, man. I mean, I I agree with everything that that folks have said so far. Don't agree with me, sir. (laughs) Well, everybody except except you. Right. Um, Anyway. The uh, I think it's it's a full court press, like just like they're doing, like we have to do that in protection of, you know, of our children. And as you said, those who serve them, those who are in closest proximity to our children, like what that means to support. Um, And I hear here's one thing I I agree, but disagree with Ray. Um, Thanks for calling that out. Like, yeah, school choice is great in a situation like this. But what about state choice? Like, what's a parent going to do if they're in the middle of a state and that is the law and and teachers are afraid to do it or don't know how to do it? And already, you know, wait, first of all, like, I, you know, y'all know I grew up overseas and it's a it's a ongoing punchline of how little Americans know about history, world history, their own history, anything. Right now, on top of that, they're like, yeah, you can't. This this is a and it's by the same people. Right. Like they love book burnings right like they've been doing that for a really long time like that's the that's part of the the tradition of, of some of these folks right and so it's just continuing they're doing it in a different way they do it on the internet and 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 their excel and say hey these are banned right and so i think a big part of 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 that is also being aware like some there are people in the middle of nowhere in their schools right you know um pennsylvania half the uh Half the districts don't have a single teacher of color. There's 500 districts in Pennsylvania. Half of them, not a single teacher of color. So if on top of that, they have the ones who are there have a constricted mindset about children of color and the communities that love them and send them there. 
like, bruh, it's it's uh, it's going to be problematic. So I do 100 percent agree about this whole idea of uh, unification. I think the other thing that part of the unification is strategy. And we, we've talked about this a lot. You know, Cole and all of us have uh, experiences outside of school time, what educators and policymakers call OST, out of school time. We got to own the out of school time. We, our children need more detox centers um, for the anti-blackness, anti-brownness that is pumped in their in their minds, that is pumped in the curriculum that's on the walls, um, that adorn the, um, you know, the materials and, and quotes and everything that adorn their schools. Just imagine every day, 180 days a year, they're going to schools where not only the literature, maybe not even just the, the educators, but the walls also say like all the geniuses in this in this world and the contributors to civilization are white and they don't look like you. Mm. Imagine seeing that over and over and over again and also hearing it over and over and over again. Like, what does that do to the the, uh, racial identity of a child? So when you're talking about like rushing in to protect, man, like we got to be all out. And like he said, bring the noise because like it, it is not a time to be meek and poo-pah what they're doing. Like the the uh, the enemy to teaching truth is absolutely organized, it's well funded, and they don't give a shit about your child's uh, mindset, their psyche, their well-being, their aspirations. They'll grind it to dust um, without giving it a second thought. So we got to recognize that and and um, go all in. So yeah. wait, so we got a curse word. No, you we didn't. Got a edit that out. Let nobody hear no curse words. We got a line, brother. <laughs> and a PE reference. All right. Uh, I, I love it. A PE right, reference so... all day, bro. <laughs> every, every, this songs are always applicable to what the, the work that we got to do out in these streets. Understood. Understood. All right. So we'll go into closing thoughts. And I, I want to, because we were just at, we were just at a conference, right? In Orlando, in which uh, uh, Dr. Cornell West was there with, uh, with one of his colleagues uh, from Princeton. I think they worked together at Princeton. And they talked about civil discourse, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to kind of get uh, into an area, uh, learn about folks or whatever, and then um, kind of be intentional about the things that you do have in common so that conversations are better uh, when you run up to things that you don't have in common. And I feel like tonight was a perfect example of us being able to start these types of conversations with, 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 with Dr. Julian, who we may not agree with on, I agree with him more than most of you guys because he was on my list to be the 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 the, the, the uh secretary of education uh, sir uh how close were you for that sir oh i knew this come i knew that question was going to come up today <laughs> i knew it i prepared an answer uh, He's like, I prepared. Are you saying what you really say is Ray? Is that predictable? Is that what you? <laughs> you can just come out and say it, brother. We we straight shooters. Just say no. I, you know, no, I can, all right, look, I'm going to tell you, I was I was on some lists. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. But I. Uh, but most importantly, we have so much unfinished business uh, here at Kentucky. So I wasn't going anywhere. Um, so let me let me just say this real quick because um, I was thinking about you know um, my own daughter. And I think part of the challenge with the current environment that we live in is that children are very reflective of their parents. And I think that they've been emboldened in the schools. I'm gonna give you an example. A student came up to my my daughter in art class and said, hey, I I wanna tell you about my art project. And, And so my daughter was really excited, really excited about this. And he said, 
I'm making a Confederate flag because it's my history. Hmm. Wait a second, what, what grade? Um, eighth grade. So hmm. the second thing that happens is um, my daughter has a friend who is Middle Eastern um, that she met at a summer camp. And and so the students said to, said to him, well, is he in the Taliban? Are, wow. Are, are you a terrorist? Because you have wow. a friend who's Middle Eastern. So I, I, I think part of the thing, you know, I noticed these things, I, you know, what, what you all were talking about. So um, is that we have to be I think we have to be more engaged than we've ever been before. Uh, these things, you know, these issues have started to come up only recently. This isn't. You know, five years ago, this wasn't really, you know, a, a big challenge. So I check in with her every single day and I say, was there anything that came up today? Any microaggressions that came up today? Right. And, I, and, and I'll walk through them with her and um, say, this is how you can respond. This is who you should talk to. Um, this is what you should think about this. This is why they're saying these things to you. This is the racialized part of this. And so um, I, I completely agree with, with with several of you that said that we have to be more engaged with our children now more than ever because of the environment that we're living in. This the racialization of and microaggressions that are happening in schools. And I'm sorry if I'm using really big, you know, theoretical concepts here, but the issues that the racial issues that our kids are facing in school, at least from my experience, are ha, have increased and are more problematic than they've been in some time. So, so Chris, I'm going to cue you up. Woodwork these days. Chris, I'm, I'm going to cue you up, sir, because you always say not everybody is meant to go to school with everybody else. <laughs> so, so, so if, if your child, if your children were faced with microaggressions like that, like what, what would you, would you keep them there? Would it be like, what, what would be your thoughts? I want him to also talk about his, uh, the, the conflict right now with his, his daughter's school. <laughs> yeah. that, uh, that is funny. Yeah. That is super funny. That's not funny. Um, well, this is, these will be my final thoughts. Uh, uh, Julian, I'm glad you were on tonight. I'm glad that you came. I do think that this is a very specific and particular moment that we're in right now. I think if we sleep on the fact that something at a very high level is happening that's very dangerous for us, our children, for the law, for education, for uh, for anti-racism, uh, we will not have done our job because the, the other side is consolidating their power into a white nationalist party and into a white nationalist national campaign that is meant to pit white parents against everybody else. And it's meant to get them to use their social power to determine outcomes of elections and outcomes of what is taught in school, outcomes of who gets to vote and who doesn't, outcomes of who gets to participate in democracy and who doesn't. This is like a no joke situation. This is like a like here, ring the bell right now. So, you know, what I'll say to Julian about this is like, listen, we have had difficulties and differences in the past. And we probably will again in the future. I'm always going to believe that. Uh, that I, I'm always going to believe that black. Why do y'all keep saying that over and over? Well, because I just I want know. like I, I mean, want to point out to like the, cousins. So no, I don't even no. Listen, what, like listen, because I like to be real, and this is what I'm going to be real about. I'm always going to believe that black self-determination hinges on us being in control of the intellectual development process of our young people and that we should never turn that over and outsource it to another group of people. And we definitely should not outsource it to the government. I'm always going to believe that. I'm not going to stop believing. I'm never going to start believing that the same courts and police system and everybody else that is doing damage to us and have been for over a century is a good place to put our kids. I'm never going to stop thinking that. However, 
However, I'm not going to miss moments like this where some of those things start becoming immaterial. I'm not, I'm not going to stand next to the clan either be, as they pass out vouchers. Right. So like everybody should be on notice. Like, 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 like you know, you, you got the clan, you know, trying to throw vouchers and be like, well, you know, you strung up on a tree, but here's some school choice or whatnot. We're not doing that either. Right. Like so. So, so we just we need some realignment at this moment. We need to be different than we have been in a long time. And the only thing, the only resistance that's going to win right now is an unusual one. It's, a, it's one that's made up of unusual uh, brothers in this situation. So that's my final word tonight. I'm glad that you came on tonight. Uh, I would hope in the future that you would understand that if we support charters or choice or any of those things, it's not because we are some wanton sellout brothers that were created in a cubic uh, fake uh, uh, Negro laboratory by billionaires and all that stuff, that it's literally because we believe that it's a, it's a, it's a, a form of self-determination in a long struggle, struggle for self-determination. But to the extent that it might be hard for you to do that in the future, whatever. Right. Like, but we, we, why are you like this? We need why, to align. We need to align. Ring why? the bell real loud. We need to to align. We're not why? we're not cubic zirconia negroes created in some laboratory. I just want to say that for everybody out there who might have came here thinking they were gonna get some neoliberal bullshit tonight. Like that's not what this is. Like we're in trouble as a people, and and turning over the minds of our children to the wrong people could also be a very wrong strategy. But right now, like I said, I'm gonna stop on this. Uh, we not we also not going to be tap dancing with school choice folks who are out here literally trying to do us harm through through law and campaigns and all that stuff either. We're not, we're not doing either. So, sir, that's, that's all I got. So you were supposed to stop like two points ago. Well, and... I mean, you were supposed to stop this entire show, bro, because like ain't nobody trying to see you, Otis. Just 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 <laughs> pass it on. I knew it. Oh, uh, so we will go, we'll go to you because you're gonna be the longest. Uh, your closing thoughts? Well, listen, you know, um, <laughs> I'll take that. That's fine. But, uh, you know, two things that I, I think about is one that Carter G. Woodson um, quote that there would be no lynching if it wasn't for the schoolhouse. Um, that continues today. While the lynching may look different, um, that intellectual lynching that our children go through, um, that many black educators have to go through when they're trying to point out policies and practices that are, um, you know, germane to the oppression of, of black children is absolutely crucial. And I also, you know, uh, Dr. Cole has brought up Kwame Torre a few times, you know, as they were uh, reading a, uh, his book club. And one of the things that he said that I think is, you know, absolutely we have to latch on to was, you know, black people need to build their own institutions, parallel institutions, as they are also fighting to hold the, the existing institutions mm -hmm. accountable. And so I think there's, uh, you know, there's space for both. And I think anytime we, we have too much of a myopic view, uh, we see that the children end up being left out of it. So the more the adults are fighting who should be have a lot in common and in similarities, um, there's only one group that's going to suffer the most. And that's our future. And that's our children that's wrapped in our children. And so this idea of ensuring that uh, educators have the support, the know-how, the resources to um, be experts in equity literacy, right? Equity literacy, meaning being able to see injustice, whether it's in curriculum, whether it's in a practice, whether it's in a policy, and know what to do about it, right? A strategy. Who do I get with? Who do I bind with? What do I say? What do I do? All of that um, is absolutely crucial. And, and raising this specter of, of equity literacy and making that the unifying flag um, that, that's bringing folks together um, to address this. You know, uh, both of you mentioned, you know, uh, situations with with children. And these are these are real 
issues that children are going through. And so this whole idea that people want to spend all their, and I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't. Yes, institutional racism is a thing, but a lot of racism is taught at people's dining room tables and their car rides home and in their classrooms. Mm-hmm. And those both simultaneously have to, um, you know, have to be addressed. And again, I just want to thank, uh, you know, our, our, our guest, uh, you know, Julian, for for being on today um, and, and speaking about this issue and, and, and saying and, and elevating how important of a moment this is, because folks don't have to be in the woodwork. They don't have to do shy stuff, microaggression like they are outright rabid racism happening. And listen, quiet as it kept. There are plenty of educators that are gleefully happy about it. Like, let's not think that all educators ain't down with it. Many of them was like, yeah, I was sick of this ish anyway. I didn't want to talk about that anyway. I am glad, finally, the horsemen are here. The hood, the unhooded horsemen are here. Thank you. Some of them are thinking that way, and we got to recognize that. I disavow. <laughs> disavow you all do. you want. From, from, from that last statement, I, I, listen, I'm on brand management, and whatever Reef just said, I disavow. Well, I, was right, I was right on brand, so Charles. bring the noise. <laughs> hey, Charles, uh, final thoughts. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dr. JVH, man, I'm glad that you came, man. Uh, and you can reach out as well. And I know we love to have you in later on. To, to, to So we can do those debates or whatnot, if you like. And on your platform, our platform, or whatever, man. Um, I think, you know, Chris said a lot of what I'm about to say, but I wrote it down already, so I can't change it. But it'll just be a strong reiteration, man. Y'all know where I'm going. We are on our own. And I think that Ray, uh, Julian, and Sharif gave you gave us some real long-term, like, like structural fixes, right? Like more black teachers, like, you know, better schools. Ray was talking about like, you know, making sure that kids' mental health is taken care of in those schools and counselors and all that stuff. Uh, But right now, tomorrow, right? Like when your kid got to go back to school, some stuff you can do right now. Listen, man, more, you should always be in your kids' work, but this year, at this time, right now, it is more important than ever. You ain't gotta know, you ain't gotta know all the information. You ain't gotta be a scholar. You can have PhDs, a third grade education. Ask your kid, how was school today? Tell me what they said. How did they make you feel? You have to have this conversation more so than not, especially when we talk about black people where we hover between 12 and 14% of the population over the last X amount of years. It ain't that many of us. And when we do get some of us, they redraw lines to split us up even more. All right. So it is more it is imperative that when you see something, that you say something that's letters to your principal, that's showing up to board meetings, that's sending letters, that's using. And y'all know how I feel about social media. I'm, you know, but like that's using TikTok, using Twitter, Facebook, Facebook groups. You have to be loud because it was a small, loud minority that actually started this stuff. And then they caught on that wave and kept going. We have to be a resistance right back. We have to let people know that we are looking over our kids shoulder. And just because there are people, listen, man, I'm black first. I'm black first. So what Chris said, I need my my ed reform people to really hear this. If you think that my humanity is a for sale or that we negotiate that shit, you got another thing coming, man. If there's something that's going to devalue my life, we're going to have an issue. And for the black folks that's on the other side of that stuff that don't like choice as much, it's a lot of district folks, like Sharif said, that ain't messing with black people either. They ain't messing with this stuff. They don't want to talk about this stuff. And you're going to be surprised when you see the Julians and the Chris's together. You're going to be surprised when you see some other big prominent names from other places together. And it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. And if we got to tear it down and build something else, that's what we do. But for you people out there that's listening tomorrow, 
I know it feels like you on your own, but you have to be more vigilant right now. You have to make those demands. You have to be willing to fight. It is December 5th. This is the day after uh, Chairman Fred Hampton was murdered, assassinated with his the mother of his child on him pregnant, trying to protect him because he told the truth. Somebody ran in that man's house and like murdered him. And it was this, it was state run. So when people talking about I ain't my this, I ain't my ancestors, you will catch these hands. I ain't this. I ain't that. And I'm tough. And I'm this, that and the third. It's, a, it's quiet as a mouse. It's quiet as a mouse right now. If you really bought that life, bring the ruckus. And the last thing I'll say is I might have beef with people. I might not like certain people's ideology, but I ain't got no issues with their kids. They come in for people's kids. They come in for your children. They come in for the people that you got a petty argument with. They come in for their kids. And I don't give a damn what's going on in my life. Ray can be super mad at me. But if I had a kid and y'all was doing something with one of my kids, Ray would put hands on you like. This is the time that the village has to come together and it has to be in that way. And Julian, I feel the same way about your kids. I like arguing with you. We have a good time when we do it. But if somebody is trying to make your kid feel a certain type of way, I have to be willing to stand in front of you. That's not what they want to see, man. And we, and the last thing, I know I said that, but we have to protect our institutions. We have other institutions. That black religious space, you don't have to be religious, but you have to understand the power that it holds. You don't have to go to black barbershops and all that, but you got to understand the power that those places hold. You, we cannot let them tear down the last vestibules of honest, true black culture. Like they coming for our cultural centers and our cultural stuff. This is a war. And all the people that ain't realizing this a war is because you a casualty. So I'll say that. And I appreciate you being here tonight, Julian. So so I'm glad that you mentioned about black barbershops, because we know one person here that does not go to a barbershop ever. And that is Mr. <laughs> Elmecki. He is straight supercuts. But my barber is in West Philly. Shout out to West Philly ESPM hair zone. Naeem, I'll see you in a couple months, bro. <laughs> For as much as we might go back and forth, ain't nothing like the, the shade and hate we throw at each other on this show. Just and just <laughs> FYI, anybody nothing about so, closing as well. Before you do, because Cole brought a really good point. I just want to want to add something to it. He talked about like you know asking, you know, having those conversations with just children. Julian also mentioned that. And families, please don't ask the traditional how was school today, because you might get a very limited answer. Ask them, when did you feel the best? When did mm. you feel the most proud? Mm. When did you feel at your lowest? And who was associated with that? Ask them questions about how they were feeling, you know, mm. like what they learned about themselves, what they thought about themselves and all of that. Those are so important to have those type of conversations so that you can increase the the response, right? You don't want a quick, easy response. You you want a, a longer response, even if it's paced out over the over the evening, over days. But I just wanted to push that because I think it's so important. I'm glad both of y'all, all everybody raised raised that. So, Doctor Julian, close us out, sir. Well, I wasn't expecting that, but um, you know, it's it's been a pleasure to uh, hang out with y'all um, this Sunday. Uh, hope hope we get a chance to come back. But not to talk about charter schools. We can talk about something else. <laughs> um, I want to talk about how you got more black teachers. I think that's a, that's going to be really instructive. Yeah, like you know, I'm going to do a show tomorrow. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But the quick answer to that, and I'd love to come back, is 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 getting rid of internal barriers 
and getting rid of external barriers because there are barriers to people of color going into the teaching profession. And I can talk about how, we, how, how we're working on that. But, you know, I just appre- appreciated spending time with you all. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, this is a, a, you know, your audience is an audience I typically don't have a chance to chop it up with, but um, look forward to uh, future conversations. I really do. Yeah. All right. Yo, thanks. Thank you. Thank, thanks for coming and kicking with us, bro. It, it means a lot to me. And uh, and, and I'm, I'm sure that it means a lot to everybody that's on the panel. So we appreciate that. So you guys have been listening to uh, episode 144, the last episode of the year. We will see you next year. Uh, let God hold you. And be gonna go see my mama grave. It's going to be great. Yeah. And, and, and make sure that you guys are in a great space. We'll see you next year. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, Elmecki, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.